Hello, Money Multipliers. Welcome back to another episode of the Money Multiplier Podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Kessler, and we ask ourselves, do our dollars make sense? So this is the last episode that you'll see with this backdrop here if you're watching me on YouTube. So tomorrow is moving day. I got the movers coming over at 8 a.m. and we're hauling everything out. So this is my last and final room that I really got to get together where I'll take the signage off the walls, I'll move the couches, my desk out of here, and I'm very excited. I got some cool little ideas of how the new setup will look. So thanks for joining me today. We're gonna be talking about the customization of how your infinite banking policy can be designed. So I got some cool little examples. If you're listening to this auditory right now on any podcast platform, um, I do recommend maybe going over to the YouTube channel. Just look up The Money Multiplier and I will be posting up some numbers on the screen and really walk through some different scenarios of how and why some scenarios make sense with different policy designs. So if you're kind of a analytical numbers nerd like myself, you'll really enjoy this episode. So I'm very excited that you're here. Let's get into it. Now for this, you know, cause some people will start using their policy for anything, right? And sometimes like people will come to me after we get done talking on stage and teaching to the audience. You know, one of the examples that we always go through is the money multiplier map and how to use the policy to go and pay off debts. But this concept is not just for debt payoff. Yes, I do agree over 80% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck and are in that financial hamster wheel where they have a boatload of debt. And that's the one of the things that we first start helping them with is, okay, how can I use this policy to go and minimize my debt and just totally pay it off? And that's where my family starts. Started, right? Y'all know my father's story. He was in almost a million dollars of debt back in 2008 when he started this concept and he was able to pay off that debt in 39 months and he didn't change anything he was doing, didn't work any harder, treat any more patients that were coming through the doors at his chiropractic offices. You know, all he did was add the one additional step of how we are placing or warehousing our wealth instead of keeping it down at the commercial banks. And so, you know, this concept, it's not just for debt payoff. I have folks who will put their Thai money into it, doing charitable donations. I got a lot of folks who are in the real estate world. They'll use their policy for their real estate investments. I mean, that's what I do. I'm a lender. I use my policy cash values to go and make my lending deals. And you also like even retirement, you know, Hey, instead of going out there and having like a qualified 401k IRA Roth account, use the policy instead and stay tuned here in a little bit. I am going to be getting into a really cool chart as well of the different comparisons between those different vehicles. Um, but even if you're just that blue collar worker, Hey, you got to go buy houses in your life. You got to go fund vacations for yourself and your family. Maybe you have children. That child is going to want a car when they turn 16. They're going to want to maybe go to college. Maybe they're going to have a wedding that you got to fund one day in the future. So large expenses, cars, automobiles, boats, your fun toys, like side by side, snowmobiles, use your banking system, your privatized bank, i.e. the policy, rather than going out there and financing it through different financial instruments and vehicles that are available to us. And just high level, before we get into it, why are we using whole life? Well, here's my bullet points for y'all. 
Number one, I get more interest than what I'm receiving down at my local bank account right now. And that interest that I receive, it's tax-free growth to me. So the government's completely out of my hair. I am protecting the money. This is a protected, appreciating asset. So God forbid if I ever get sued or have a judgment to lean against me, nobody can come after the money inside of my policies. Um, it's still liquid. I got liquid cash and capital inside of there, assuming that this policy is designed properly for high cash value banking. And lastly, there's a death benefit on the policy. You know, a lot of people mistreat life insurance because they think, hey, I'm not going to need that. That's just for death. And a lot of people don't understand that, hey, y'all, we all have a guaranteed expiration date on our bodies. We're all guaranteed to graduate or pass away. So a lot of people will go out there and buy all of this insurance insurance, like flood insurance, fire insurance, your car insurance. And I understand some of those are mandatory here in the States. You got to have that, but we neglect the insurance that's actually guaranteed to happen. You are not guaranteed to have a flood come into your house, but we spend buku bucks every single year funding for those other policies where it's not a guarantee to happen. So treat yourself as your number one asset, protect yourself and protect your family. I know we don't talk about it a whole lot when we're talking about using the policy for cash value banking, but that is a cherry on top of the cake and your policy is going to have a death benefit on it, whether you like it or not. So this is what Nelson Nash used to say. He would say, hey, if I can solve your need for finance and cash while you're living, you will have enough death benefit to leave to your family and heirs. So that's kind of the bullet points of why we're using whole life. And I'm not going to get too deep into the weeds of why I feel safer keeping my wealth with these insurance companies that have been around for centuries versus commercial banks and their different business and operating practices of how they conduct their business. So that'll be in another episode. And I, I know I've talked about it a, f a few times on some few past episodes, but I'm not going to get too deep into the weeds on that here today. So I want to show y'all and kind of run through some different scenarios of the different ways of how you can customize a whole life policy to suit your needs and your goals of what you're doing. And with this, that is why I just recommend that if you're going to be practicing this concept, you should be practicing with somebody that practices what they preach. They're doing this in their own life and is affiliated with the Nelson Nash Institute. And how you can go out there, if you are talking to an agent about this concept, go out there to infinitebanking.org and you can see that there's a practitioner's finder on the website and type in the last name of that agent and see if they show up and see if they are affiliated with the NNI. And you know, it's not a mandatory, I don't know, now they say that, I think it should be a mandatory, because um, there's a lot of people out there who teach banking, but sometimes they're, they're teaching it on totally different products, like IULs, VULs, and different things like that, which I have a firm belief, if you are not using a whole life policy for your banking function in your life and doing privatized banking with a whole life policy, it's not banking, all right? Because you're not getting those guarantees that come from the whole life policy itself. So I'll get in here and I kind of want to walk through a few different scenarios of how a policy can be designed differently for one's needs and goals of what they're trying to accomplish. So here's the first one I want to talk about. This is, and, and these are all, these are all real life scenarios, but I'm not showing my clients illustrations for this. Um, just because, you know, I, I want to show y'all some other scenarios as well. But um, my first one here, I named it Monroe Kessler. 
All right, you know who Monroe is? Monroe is my black kitty cat. <laughs> I think I may have shared the story about how I uh, acquired Monroe, but um, she's my kitty cat, my newest recent one. I only have two, but uh, she's buddies with Daisy. And um, Monroe, she's about two years old right now. And if I could put a policy on my kitty cat, I totally would. So Monroe, she's two years old right now. And so she is just starting her life. She is going out. She's not working, not producing any income. You know, yeah, maybe later on down the road, she's going to have large expenses that she needs to buy in her life. But for this one in Monroe, if I was in Monroe's shoes, her being two years old, I am going to design this policy with more of a higher base premium compared to the paid up edition riders. So this is kind of where that lingo of the 40-60, you know, if you start going out there and researching IBC, those uh, terms will become more and more familiar. But how I'm designing her policy is more of that base premium, that stronger foundation compared to our booster rockets, those paid up additions. Because reminder, that's kind of how I like to describe the engineering behind the policy is think of the policy as nothing more than just like a rocket ship. You got the base of your rocket, that's the base premium. Then you got these two booster rockets that are attached onto the side. Those are the paid up edition riders. And the purpose of them is that's what gets our rocket ship out of the sky and out of the atmosphere. So in the early years of the policy, this is where that cash value is coming from in the early years. So as time goes on though, and our rocket ship leaves the atmosphere, what happens to those booster rockets? Well, they fall off. And why do they fall off? Well, they fall off just because they're simply not needed anymore to keep sustaining the cash value growth in that policy. So with her, she's two years old. She has nothing that she really needs to use right now for her policy. She is more interested in the longevity and later year cash value growth of this policy. Because here in about, I don't know, 14 years, she'll be driving. She'll be wanting to go to college um, in 16 years. You know, maybe one day she meets a cute husband been tuxedo kitty cat and they're gonna go off and have babies and get married and whatever right so what Monroe is doing is she's saying hey Hannah well I really don't have much use and need for my policy right now I understand the importance of why I should be warehousing my wealth inside of here but right now I really don't have too much importance of using the early years cash values so so how I designed her policy is I designed it with stronger later year performance, a stronger foundation. So with this, her policy is really designed 60% to the base premium and 40% to our paid up edition riders. And with this, she's doing, I just use 500 a month for my example here, because reminder, you always get to determine that premium deposit that you want to put inside of your policy. You get to choose the amount that you want to put in, and then also even the mode, how frequently, whether it's monthly, quarterly, twice a year, or annual premiums. Now, something else to note too, I mean, inside of a policy, you can always go in there and update that mode of premium. You know, let's say Monroe was starting this at 500 a month and later on down the road, she wants to switch it to annual premiums. She can do that. She can change it to 6,000 a year whenever she wants. And it's just a quick call into the underwriter not the underwriter, sorry, the insurance company up there at the home office and saying, hey, I want to update my mode of premium here. So 
here with this policy design, you can see that it's the long-term effects of that policy is really where she's going to be seeing a lot of more of that cash value growth. You know, so in year one, year one of her policy, and it doesn't matter which side that you want to look at, we got our guaranteed side. Guaranteed just means the guaranteed contractual interest that the company has to give us each and every year. So that's why a whole life policy is classified as an appreciating asset because this thing can never go down. It can only go up in value because the insurance company is guaranteeing us that interest. And yes, it's different than an IUL policy. If you think your IUL policy has that guaranteed floor, I would think again, because there's some renewable cost to the insurance that happens every single year inside of an IUL. So with the whole life policy, that cost to the insurance is fixed for the entire life of the contract. And a lot of people like to ask me questions about that or challenge me on that, but that's the reason as to why we're using whole life because that cost is always fixed. It's not changing, getting higher and higher as the years go on. So year one, let's just call it $2,300. So year one, she has $2,300 of cash value that she can pull from the policy. So if I take 2,300 and I divide it into 6,000, that means year one, she's able to take out about 38% of her premium deposit where I know if we're gonna be designing this a little bit differently, and I'll get into those other illustrations too, this cash value year one could be higher based on that policy design. And there's pros and cons to this because Monroe doesn't need that upfront early cash value. She's able to have more of that longevity growth coming in from that foundation, that base premium as the years roll on. So year one, she's got access to 38% of her cash value. So, or excuse me, her premium deposit. She has access to 38% of her premium deposit, meaning her cash value year one is $2,300. So with this, Monroe, she's saying, well, hey, this is fine because I know the money is there if I need it, when I need it, and I can tap into this cash bucket whenever I choose to. So, and y'all, can you kind of see my little glasses here? But I've been trying to be a little bit nicer on my eyes. Um, <laughs> I got, uh, Chris Noggle actually turned me on to these. They're uh, blue light glasses. So I'm like, well, hey, if I'm sitting here in front of my computer desk, like all day, every day, seven days a week, I think I should take some precautions to protect my eyesight. <laughs> so that's why I'm wearing my glasses here today. So no, my eyesight is totally fine. I'm just using it for my blue light glasses. So... Monroe is saying, hey, I don't need the cash right now. And this is why I would design her policy with a stronger foundation, stronger base premium compared to the paid up additions. Because you'll notice as time goes on and the policy gets more aged and seasoned and matured, those booster rockets, the paid up edition riders, they're going to fall off the policy. And when they fall off, it's that base premium that's going to keep growing and sustaining that cash value growth in the policy. So a question I sometimes get as well is, you know, well, Hannah, if I ever wanted to, let's say that there comes a time where I don't have my $500. I just don't have it. Maybe I come into a downfall in life. What are my options? And it is possible if you ever needed to, you can always reduce down your premium because the paid up edition riders or PUAs for short, that is not a mandatory premium to keep the policy alive and active. So here, if Monroe ever wanted to, she could reduce down her premiums by 40%. So instead of 500 a month, 
300 a month would be that minimum to keep that policy alive and active. And then all I would tell her to do is at least pay the minimum, which is $10 a month or $120 a year, at least pay the minimum to the paid up additions to keep it attached onto the policy. Because if she didn't pay anything into those paid up additions, it would fall off the policy and it cannot get added back on after it drops off. I mean, yes, technically it could, but then you gotta just go in and do a policy change application. You gotta get it approved by underwriting and it's just, it's just a process. You just gotta go through and you gotta get it approved again through the underwriter. So just pay the minimum, pay the 10 bucks a month, 120 a year to keep that paid up additions attached on and then um, when she, when her cash flow allows her to, then she can start paying back in up to that 500 a month premium again. So there are flexible ways that if we ever come into a downfall, you can always reduce down premiums. And I mean, even if you really needed to, you could totally use the cash value in the policy to even help pay for premiums. So that's always an option. So Another thing too, some people will ask me is, well, Hannah, I'm noticing here that premiums are paid to age 121. Do I really have to pay premiums until age 121? And my answer always back to y'all is, well, if I'm a good coach, you will quickly understand that you wanna pay premiums for as long as you can and as much as you can. And here, take a look right here. This is exactly what I mean by it. Let's say that in year 35, okay? Year 35, just picking out a random year, at year 35 in the policy or when Monroe's 37, let's say that she comes to us and says, you know, I just really don't wanna keep paying my premiums any longer. And first of all, I would tell Monroe to call me up and fire me because I did a really bad job teaching her this concept. But if she totally wanted to, she could totally stop paying premiums inside of this policy. But me personally, I wouldn't. And here's what I mean by it. Look right here, underneath the total net cash value columns, and I'm just looking here at the total net cash value on the non-guaranteed side. The only difference between guaranteed and non-guaranteed, guaranteed is that contractual interest that the company has to pay us each and every year. And then the non-guaranteed side, this is just incorporating the projected dividends. So, you know, I can't sit here and promise you dividends inside of your policy contract because dividends are not contractually guaranteed, but with all the five companies the money multiplier does business with, they've all been paying dividends for over 124 plus consecutive years. My, my One of my companies, over 180 consecutive years. So, it's a pretty strong chance that they're gonna keep paying out these dividends. So that's why I, looked, I like to look at the non-guaranteed side, especially when we get into the later years of the policy, because I know in real life, this is how that illustration is gonna be performing. And matter of fact, this illustration isn't even gonna be performing like illustrated right here, because we're just looking at this policy as if we stick this sucker in a drawer, we keep paying premiums, and we don't touch it, we don't do anything with it. So the more that you use the policy to go and finance and buy the things that you're already buying in life, the larger these numbers are gonna be when you start to incorporate becoming your own banker and playing that honest banker with yourself in your life. And go read Nelson Nash's book, this black book right here, Becoming Your Own Banker. Go look up the equipment financing example chapter. I wanna say it starts on page 50 or 49, but he really gets deep deep into the weeds of, hey, the more that you use this, the larger these values will become. But if I'm a good coach, you'll see that you will never wanna stop paying these premiums because let's just look at the growth of what happened from year 34 to year 35. So 
Year 34, we had 317,000 of cash value in that policy. Well, in year 35, Monroe put in a net injection of $3,600 inside of this. So she put in $3,600 and her cash grew from $317 to $335. So if I take $335 and I subtract $317, that's an $18,000 growth in that policy this year with a $3,600 net injection. I'm no math genius, but I know that if I put $3,600 into something and it grows over $18,000, I mean, that's almost quadruple what she is earning in that policy versus what she even put in as her premium deposit. So each and every year, because of the uninterrupted compounding, the growth becomes greater and greater than the years prior. Let's just go down to age 50. When Monroe is age 50, here's how our cash is looking in this year. And I'm just going to highlight it out for y'all right here. So age 50, she has, she's still putting in her 3,600, but let's see how the cash grew from age 49 to age 50. Well, age, age 49, she had 625,000 of cash value in the policy and it grew to 657,000. 657? Minus 625, that's a $32,000 growth when she is age 50 years old with a $3,600 net injection into the policy. Do you see what I mean when I say that you will never want to stop paying these premiums because of the growth and the uninterrupted compounding and that power that comes behind this vehicle? So yes, if Monroe totally wanted to, she could stop paying premiums. Let's say that she hits age 75 and she says, you know what, Hannah? You know, she calls me mom, by the way because she's Monroe, she's my kitty cat, remember? So she says, okay, mom, well, I don't wanna pay these premiums anymore. I just totally wanna stop that uh, premium contribution, but I do wanna keep my policy. I understand that there's a benefit to the death benefits, the cash value that I can use for whatever I want. It's guaranteed to grow no matter what the market is performing or acting like. So, you know what, it, at age 75, I think I just want to stop paying these premiums. So there's a few options. You know, if Monroe really wanted to, she could start using her dividends to pay her premiums. If she did want to keep those ongoing premiums and thus keeping that capitalization happening in the policy, she could use the cash value in that policy to pay for the premiums or she could RPU that contract. RPU just means reduce paid up. And what would happen is, is that the premiums would stop, no more capitalization, no more premium deposits going in. Her death benefit would remain at where it's at. And then now she's just got this cash value bucket that's rolling on an autopilot. She can dip into it whenever she wants. She still receives the guaranteed interest. She still receives those projected dividends. It's just no more further capitalization is now happening. And thus it just couldn't be growing as much as what it could be. Does that make sense? So that's Monroe's policy. Now, something I could mention too, you know, because Monroe, my kitty cats, they're not going to have a qualified plan. Remember, my kitty cats here, they're my children in this example. Just play along with me right now. So my children, 
they are not going to have any government-sponsored plans like a 401k, a Roth, an IRA, a self-directed account, 403b, nothing like that. They're going to be using their policies to supplement that income during those retirement ages. And so if she wanted to at this point, instead of taking out loans from the policy, Monroe could go in here and she can start taking out tax-free withdrawals from the policy. She can withdraw the money and use that for her living expenses. So I'm going to teach my children that, hey, during these prime working years, I want you to use the cash value in the policy and I want you to go buy yourself cash flowing assets. Go out, put the cash value of the policy to work for you so that you have your little green men, they're out there working, and now you're creating an army of green men who are out there working for you so that you no longer have to go out and work for it. So come those passive years of our life, I'm going to be using my cash flowing assets plus my policy cash value to supplement my income during my passive retirement years. Y'all, I don't think there's any other vehicle on the planet that allows us to do this with these features and benefits like a guaranteed whole life policy does. And if you know of something that's better, come to me and tell me. My family has been looking now for almost 18 years for other vehicles that are better than whole life. And we've just never been introduced or taught anything else that's better. So I've been asking, please tell me because I don't know what I don't know. And this has been working for myself and my family. At the time of this recording, I got seven of my own policies. Y'all know, I told you at the beginning of the episode, I'm going to be moving into my new condo. How do you think I bought my condo? The cash value in my policy. This is all that I'm doing every single day when I go out there and finance the things that I'm buying in life. My purchases, my expenses, my investments. I'm using the cash value because now I'm able to warehouse the money inside of a safe, guaranteed, protected asset. It's still liquid. I can leverage and pull the money out of the policy and I can go use that cash value for anything. Go buy a pack of chewing gum down at the convenience store with your policy money if you really wanted to. So it's having the freedom to keep the money that you're already making and being able to use it for whatever you want in your life. So this is Monroe. This is my two-year-old girl Monroe. Let's do another one. Let's say, oh, here's another one. This one is Piper Kessler. Piper Kessler is um, our dog. <laughs> so uh, Piper is a Bernadoodle. She is uh, mom and dad's dog. And oh my gosh, those doodles, they got a personality on them, don't they? So this one, Piper's a teenager and we're calling her 16 years old. So here's how I designed her policy because she's kind of in the same boat as Monroe, but she has maybe more of a need for some cash value in the policy. You know, maybe she wants to go to college. She's going to have to fund for those textbooks that she needs in school. She's going to need some money for her first apartment, maybe first down payment on her house. So Monroe, or excuse me, Piper, Piper is going to need more of that immediate cash value compared to Monroe. So how did I design Piper's policy? Well, I designed her policy 40% to the base and 60% to those paid up edition riders. And you can see here, and it's the same premium, 500 a month or 6,000 a year. Just that different design, year one, she's got a cash value of $3,400. So if I take 3,400 and I divide it into 6,000, 
She's got 57% cash value access compared to Monroe, who had 34%. So that's the differences. You know, there's pros and cons to different designs and how you are designing that policy for the needs and the goals. And you can see here how it affects when you put more of that money into the paid up additions compared to the base premium, you'll have higher cash values in the early years. But if you put more into the base, that's going to have that stronger foundation and stronger later year growth. And I would even argue you'll even have more of the flexibility to store your wind falls in life because that's one thing that we don't think about a lot but you need to have a place to store windfalls when they come into you and not just be holding it down at the commercial bank so but so Piper, she's going to have this freedom to be able to store more monies inside of her policy in those later years, just like Monroe, because she has that stronger base premium foundation. But here, why I designed it this way is because Piper, she needs a little bit more of the early years cash because she's a teenager. She's going to have some upcoming larger expenses happening. She's going to be leaving the nest here soon, going out and living on her own. And I want her to use the capital in her policy to be able to go and buy and finance those different things that come up in life. So... You can notice here too as well, the death benefit also looks a little bit different compared to Monroe. You know, the majority of the death benefit is really coming from that base premium of the policy. So the more dollars you put into the base is going to get you a higher death benefit compared to the paid up additions. And I know that's not why we're here chatting today. It's we're really meeting to talk about the cash value and how to use it for your banking purposes. But that's the only difference as well with different policy designs and even age too. Now, let me just make this comment real quick because some of y'all, when you are introduced to this concept, you guys have a great understanding of life insurance. And sometimes you guys will ask me, well, Hannah, should I put this policy on my child compared to myself because if I put it on my child it's going to be cheaper in the terms of a life insurance it's just going to be cheaper cost to it and I agree with your thinking there but age only affects the death benefit it does not affect the cash and that cash performance of how we're using the policy so age only affects that death benefit. And I kind of want y'all to get death benefit out of your minds when you're thinking about this concept and really just view it as that cherry on top of the cake. But it does, you know, age only affects the death benefits. Let's say Piper, who's 16 right now, she's going to do 500 a month. And let's say it's my father who's 58 right now, or he's 57. He's born, he's born in 67, so whatever, do the math. Let, let's call him 57 for easy numbers and grace here. So, so if Piper and Brent, my dad, they put the same amount of premium into their policies, 500 a month, and the engineering behind it, 40% to the base, 60% to the paid up additions. If those are the same, the cash value is going to perform the exact same way. It's just because Piper, she is younger. She is going to have a higher death benefit for every dollar she put in compared to Brent, who is older than Piper. Age only affects the death benefit. And if you want my humble opinion, I think that you should really start with the matriarch and the patriarch of the family first. Because as history has it, mom and dad are supposed to pass before the children. And I want to see that death benefit legacy get paid out to the children and that next generation. So I'm not saying that you can't do the entire family at the same time, but if I had a preference, start with mom and dad first and then go to the downline of the children. 
let's go to Hannah Kessler. And this is my example. I just kind of used myself with my age on here. But um, but this, this was actually a real life scenario. I had a gentleman one time come to me and he wanted to practice banking and he's a bartender, all right? And so he has his salary that he makes, but he also gets tips. So hear this scenario. And this is what I'm talking about with the customization and customizable aspects, customizable, that was an awkward way to say it, but, but aspects of these policies. So he goes, hey, you know, I can structure a policy where I can commit to a thousand dollars a month inside of my policy. That's what I'm already saving right now. So instead of saving it down at the local bank, I'm going to be saving it inside of my policy. So I'm going to be saving this a thousand a month, but you know what? I also make some tip money and I would love to be able to store my tip money that I'm making as a bartender inside of my policies. And the tip money ranges from about, I don't know, $1,500 to $2,000 every single month that I am making in this in these tips. And so what I did is I designed him a policy, or in this example here, Hannah Kessler a policy, where it's going in a thousand a month premiums, but then having the wiggle room to deposit an extra 2000 a month inside of the policy so that when I receive that tip money that comes into me, I'm able to go and put that tip money into my policy. So you can see here, the premiums are a thousand a month, but you have an additional 24,000 every year that you can put more and more monies or more paid up additions. Sorry, y'all. I, I, <laughs> I'm drinking my boba tea at matcha latte boba. I think it's uh, kind of coming up on me. So, anywho. Now I got you. I love boba, by the way. There's this place that's called Bubble Tea around me. I think I think this Bubble Tea place, they're kind of a chain. Oh, they're so good. So ungodly expensive. But I treated myself today on this uh, Sunday as I'm recording this. So in this example, he is able to stick in an extra 24000 every single year inside of that policy. So that's why you see underneath contract premium, 36,000 is going in every single year. And the thing is, he doesn't have to, or I don't have to, I don't have to put in that extra 2,000 a month if I don't want to, or if I don't have the funds to. Maybe I was sick and I didn't go to work that whole week or whatnot happened, right? Life happens, we get it. So this just gives him the flexibility that, hey, if I want to make these deposits or put in those extra monies inside of my policy, I can do so. Now, what's really cool too about like this company right here and this illustration design, I love this column that they do put in here called the increase in net cash value. And I like that just because I don't have to go in and do any additional math on this. So you can see literally in year three, we are already breaking even in that policy, putting in 36,000, assuming I'm maxing out and I'm doing my full 2000 extra each month of my tip money I'm dumping in. So 36,000 goes in and by year three, you're already profiting more than what you put into the policy that year. 36 went in and your cash is growing by 36,323. So I, I, I'm just telling y'all, I, I think it kind of flabbergasts me when people ask me, well, Hannah, when can I stop paying my premiums or what's the minimum premium I should be putting in? I, I'll be honest with you. I hate those questions because you're, you're neglecting yourself as your number one asset. You're neglecting the capitalization that you could be doing inside of your policy 
And you got to go make deposits into somebody, somebody's bank anyways. And you've already been accustomed to making your deposits down at the local banks. So now just shift that mindset and you make those deposits into your bank now, i.e. the policy. So look here. I mean, this is what I love too about like this company is like illustrations. Like let's say that at age 65, I want to retire. Well, age 65, I want to retire. And with a, let's just call it 5,000. With a $5,000 net injection, my cash is growing by $79,000. Y'all, that is huge. That is huge, huge growth that's happening in the policy just that year. Even look after here, after age 75, when we're forced to not make any more premiums inside of this policy. And the, and the only reason it's showing like this is just because it's a different company. It's a different product. Inside of this product, the premiums stop after age 75. Look right here. No more premiums are going into it, but look at that cash value growth every single freaking year inside of that policy. Oh my gosh, you have $120,000 plus every year coming out of the policy. No more premiums are going in. And now you can just use this cash value bucket to now fund for the monthly expenses. So I think that's huge. I don't know if y'all are getting as excited about this as I am, but I mean, this makes me really, really excited. I just love this stuff. So that's another way that this gentleman could be using this policy here or Hannah in this scenario. And um, at the time of my graduation date too, let, let's even just say this. Let's say that I graduate at age 90. Okay, I graduate at age 90 and at that time, I have a $5.5 million death benefit. And let's say that I have withdrew and taken out loans of this full entire cash value bucket. Let's ca just call it $5,040,000. So what would happen is if I pass away at the age of 90, the insurance company would take that 5.5 million in death benefit and subtract the 5 million in some change that I have as outstanding loans that I did not pay back to the policy. And then that remaining portion, about 500,000 then, would get paid out to my beneficiaries. Because when I graduate, I want to leave my beneficiaries with the cash flowing assets that I've accumulated during my lifetime so I can pass that down to my next generation so that they still have those streams of income, passive income that's coming into the family, plus they get paid out this lump sum in tax-free death benefit money as well. I mean, y'all, I'm telling you, this stuff is so freaking powerful. I'll, actually, let me tell you this too. Dad... If my mom and dad both pass away at the age of 65, myself and my two brothers, we're going to receive $32 million in death benefit. Just in death benefit alone. What am I going to do with those $32 million? I don't even need that much money, honestly. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take some of that money. We're going to go and start more banking policies. I'm going to go buy myself more cash flowing assets. And thus, that's where the generational wealth and the legacy aspect of this concept comes into play. I'm telling y'all, it's powerful, powerful stuff. So... That's just one, that's just one example. So yeah, there's options where you can do like subsequent year dump-ins inside of that policy. Um, this is why it's important. I mean, hop on the phone with myself or another money mentor on my team. Just tell us what's going on and we'll be here to strategize and help you with that best policy design of what you're trying to accomplish. So that's one. Let me show you another one. This one, I use the example of like my older brother. Now, don't hate me. 
I know, uh, sh uh, so his name is Sean. Sean is actually down in Cape Coral, Florida with my sister-in-law and my niece and nephew. So he has a wife and two kids. And Sean is um, an owner of a property management company over in North Captiva Island. Y'all gotta go look up North Captiva Island if you don't know what it is. It's really, really cool. It's just an island off the coast of like Sanibel. And you can only get there by a small airplane or by boat. And so what Sean will do is he will check the guests that come in because I think the minimum time frame that you can spend there, like if you're a guest like booking on Airbnb, Verbo and those things, I'm pretty sure the minimum time that you can spend there is about five days, five to seven days. So these people are going out there and they're spending like a week's vacation out there. And so what Sean will do is he'll check them in, He'll go do the grocery store orders because y'all, there are no grocery stores on the island. Uh, there's no cars on the island. You get around by golf cart. And um, so you gotta go and prep for the groceries, prep for the, the beverages and drinks that you need while there and just anything else while you're having fun on vacation. So Sean uh, manages a bunch of those rental properties over there. So, if Sean came to me, because Sean is now getting into real estate himself and acquiring more doors and uh, wanting to seek more passive income, along with also hiring new employees for his business as well. And so Sean is saying, okay, Hannah, well... I am saving right now 2,000 a month. So that is what I wanna start my policy with because I'm saving 2,000 a month. But I do have this cash bucket sitting over here in the form of cash on hand at the bank, in the form of lazy money equity inside of my house. And I wanna take this money and I want to dump it into this policy. But you know what, Hannah? This cash bucket is $60,000. I know that I cannot do $60,000 every single year. I feel more comfortable doing $2,000 a month for right now. So how I designed his policy is I took that $60,000 dump in and all of that goes in as paid up additions inside of that policy. So I tell y'all conservatively, when you do a dump in inside of your policy, you have access to 90, 90% of that money immediately. So Sean does this dump in inside of it. Then he's trucking along doing his 2000 a month premiums. So you can see here that when you do this kind of dumping inside of the policy, it really accelerates that cash growth. Now, dumpings are not mandatory to start a policy, all right? Not everybody's doing a dumping. When I started my first policy at 18 years old, heck no, no way I could not do or even afford a dumping inside of my policy. Even dad, when he started his first policy back in 2008 and he was in almost that million dollars in debt, he started at 2000 a month just because that's all he could afford at the time. He couldn't even afford to do quarterly, semi-annual, or even annually. Now he's got it to the point where he is paying all of his premiums on an annual basis. He actually just started another policy on my mom. I think this makes it like policy number 28. And he started that policy on my mom, another 425,000 a year in his own premium that he's putting inside of his policy. And I'm not saying that to brag to y'all. I'm saying that because this is what we are doing in our life right now. We are maxing out and we are capitalizing our banking systems. I'd rather have my money sit inside the policy rather than the local bank. So you can see here in Sean's example, year one, he's got $71,000 of cash available. So if I take 71,000 and I divide that by 84,000, so the 2,000 a month plus his $60,000 dump in, 
that means that he's got an he's got a cash value of access to 85% year one. So you can see that, hey, compared to Monroe, she had 34%. Piper had 58%. Now Sean, Sean's got 85%. Do you see where I'm going with this? There's so many ways that you can design a policy. And I don't want this to confuse y'all or you to say, oh, Hannah, and you put your arms up like this. And you're like, Hannah, I just don't know. I don't get it. I'm, I'm just done. This is why you work with an expert mentor who specializes in this stuff. And this is all that we do here at The Money Multiplier. I mean, we're 100% the infinite banking concept. So... Here, Sean's able to have more of that upfront cash value because he's doing a dumping inside of his policy. This policy is still designed a 40-60 split where 40% of the 2000 a month is going to the base and 60% is going towards those paid up edition riders. So we're not neglecting the later years of that base premium and that value and growth that the base premium can give us He's just giving it like an extra boost or an extra oomph, I like to call it sometimes, in that policy that gets him that higher cash value immediately. So here's my last final one that I want to show y'all. This one, I named it Brent Kessler, so my dad. Um, and don't tell dad this, but I made him a little bit older here. I said that dad is 65 years old. And... I'm telling you right now, if you are of the boomer generation, you are older, even though you're older, you can still practice this concept. I say that the insurance companies do stop handing out whole life policies around the age of, I used to say 75, but I do have some clients, Mr. Wayne, who's 78. I actually just had a gentleman approved 80 years old. Now he was in perfect health, you know, worked out every single day, no health history. So I say that the insurance companies stop handing out whole life policies around the age of 80. But, um, even though you're older, yes, you can still practice this reminder. Just like how I said, Age on your policy only affects the death benefit. It does not affect the cash and the cash performance in the policy. So with this one, I designed this where of Brent's 50,000 a year premium, 25% of it is going to the base and 75% is going towards the paid up edition riders. And I designed it this way because I get it. Brent who's 65, his needs and goals are different than Monroe, Piper, and Hannah, where we are younger and we have different needs for our banking system right now. So Brent, because he's older, he's getting into those retirement passive years of his living, he's gonna want more of that immediate cash value access to the policy. So that's why I designed it more so like a 25 to the base, excuse me, 25 to the base and 75 to the paid up edition riders. Now with this, let's talk about something. Let's talk about the differences between loans and withdrawals. Because I did mention earlier that you can withdraw out of your policy. And the reason that we are maybe wanting to withdraw is because we are into those retirement phases and you know, I don't want to pay the loan interest anymore. I just want to take from the policy and I just want to live off this money and I don't want to be concerned with having to pay it back. Like I mentioned before, you don't have to pay back the policy loans, but it, but if you want to play that honest banker with yourself in your lifetime, as Nelson Nash says, don't seal the peas. I encourage you pay back your loans, pay yourself back and pay yourself back with interest. So the differences with loans and withdrawals though is, is that when you withdraw from the policy, 
you are physically taking out the cash value from your policy and thus you are stopping or interrupting the compounding that is happening inside of it. So when you withdraw, you're stopping the compounding and you're surrendering a part of your death benefit. So withdrawals can make sense in some scenarios. Um, but right now, during the early years of the policy's life, I wouldn't recommend withdrawals even though you can take them out. I like loans because when you take out policy loans, you're not interrupting that compounding in your policy. And I've talked about this extensively if you've been following me for some time. But why we take out loans is because you are essentially putting your policy up for collateral and you're taking a loan from the general funds of the insurance company. So all of that money that you are using in the real world never left your policy account. It is still growing that uninterrupted guaranteed interest even though you're using it out here in the real world and you're not surrendering any of that death benefit as well. If you don't don't pay it back it will just get subtracted from your death benefit so I just want to touch on somebody who's a little bit older and kind of why I would structure it with a lot more to the paid up additions versus that base premium and it's just because I get it we're at those later stages of life and we may want to use those cash values today rather than 30 40 50 years later down the road right now, before I log off, I know I have been probably vomiting on y'all with a lot of this information that I'm giving you. So go back, rewatch this episode, get yourself more knowledgeable and more familiar in the policy world and the nature of the policies. But look at this little chart here. This is the considerations of the different vehicles that are out there and how your whole life banking policy compares to the different vehicles that are out there. On the left hand side, here's all the considerations and then aligned up across the top from left to right, you see IBC, your money market account or CD account, real estate, mutual funds, 401ks, 403bs, IRAs, your stocks, your Roth IRA, or even a 529 plan. And just really pause this episode right here and go through the chart and kind of see the considerations and differences between those different vehicles. Is it 100% principal protected? Is it guaranteed to grow? Do you Are you allowed to take penalty-free withdrawals before age 59 and a half? Is it tax-deferred growth? Tax-free withdrawals, guaranteed interest, protection from creditors, disability benefits, is it risk-free, is it tax-free to heirs, are there contribution limits, um, is there uninterrupted compounding interest, is there a death benefit. Really get into this chart and kind of see the differences when you look at different vehicles side by side and you can see why my family is a very big fan of whole life policies and, that, and that's really why we don't have any of these other accounts besides real estate, I should say. Um, I can even share stories. I probably won't get into it in today's episode because I know I've been blabbing on here for an hour plus now. But uh, I can share some different stories about like my 529 plan that I had. You know, my brother who's a pilot, he's my younger brother, Zach. Um, you know, his boss is coming up to him and like saying, Zach, you're stupid and crazy for not starting that 401k. Well, my younger brother, who's 22 years old, just started his second policy and he paid his full premium for the year, 12,000 a year. So I'm very proud of you, Zach, and I'm proud of you for sticking up for yourself because it is. I mean, when you get out into the world and, and you watch me on, on my podcast show, you watch our webinars, you know, you follow Chris Noggle on his, um, um, Instagram, his YouTube channel, and you kind of see really are enlightened to different ways of how you can use the vehicle. I know sometimes you want to go out there and, and speak 
fuel up all of this knowledge to your friends and your family members and people that you really care about because you see the power that comes behind taking back the control of your money. And sometimes it can kind of feel like you're a whack-a-mole character. You go out there and they whack you down, whack you down, whack you down. And, and it kind of gets a little discouraging. So just know that there's a community here. We got our Facebook group. Um, infinite banking on Facebook, even send me an email if you want me to link you to the uh, direct Facebook group. My email is Hannah, Hannah spelled the same ways forwards and backwards, Hannah at the money multiplier.com. So you can go on there, send me an email with your questions. Um, if you want other resources, I got past boot camps and mastermind trainings that we've done. And um, also just other uh, different things as well. You know, I mentioned Chris Noggle. Um, stay up to date with our events. You know, we got a very great and busy 2024 coming ahead. I am planning our three-day live mastermind again this year. So it'd be a pleasure to see y'all out there. And, you know, why folks just love doing this stuff is just because they see how efficiently and effectively that the team is really there working for them. Because I told you, this is 100% of what the money multiplier does. We're 100% the infinite banking concept. And that's why we pour in a lot of our energy, time, and resources into the implementation team, or sometimes known as the mapping team, where they will go in, build you those visual tools. If you got debt, they're going to build you that money multiplier map. If you just want to see the cash flow, they're going to build you that cash flow analysis so you know and understand how that policy is performing every single year. And two to three times a year. We're always here updating those tools and checking in with you because our financial life is never stagnant. Y'all, it's all about the process of banking. It's your banking business in your life. It's not so much about the whole life product itself. Yes, you want to make sure that it's designed properly for what your needs and goals are so that you do have immediate cash value access. My definition of immediately is within 30 days. So you want to make sure that you have that but it's more about the process of banking and how you're using the vehicle to finance the things that you're already going to go out and buy in life. So hopefully this was helpful. Rewatch this episode. I know I threw a lot at y'all here today. Um, and probably coming up, my videos won't be as intense on information. But I really just wanted to give an episode to my analyticals and number nerds that are out there, kind of like myself. So thank you for being here. If you have questions, comment down below. I'm going to be doing an episode where I'm compiling all of the YouTube comments and uh, I will be going through those questions, those comments as well. And um, if you just want to chat one-on-one, -on -one, you know where to find me. You got my email address, hannah at themoneymultiplier.com. You can go to our website, themoneymultiplier.com and uh, we're always around. So thanks for tuning in today. I'll see you next week. Bye, everybody.